Hey, this is Noah Fritchie, and I'm the lead pastor of Real Church, and this is our podcast. I wanted to thank you for joining us today, and I hope this can inspire you and build your faith. Enjoy the message. Well, hey, today we are starting a brand new series, and it's called In the Meantime. And really what we're talking about is we're talking about waiting on God. And I know that just like you, I feel like we are in a season of this where we are just waiting on God. And um, really that's what inspired this series. The story behind the series, I would say, would be this whole virus, this whole pandemic. I know so many of you are asking so many questions like, God, when are you going to show up in this? God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And so anyway, I'm so excited to get to teach on this topic with you today. Um, It's going to be a great time. We're going to do three parts to this series. So thank you so much for tuning in with us. In fact, uh, this, this whole series comes from Really, the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. Everybody at home, try and say that. Say Habakkuk. It sounds like it's a weird sneeze or something, doesn't it? But anyway, Habakkuk. Habakkuk is an Old Testament minor prophet. There were, there were minor prophets and there were major prophets. And because Habakkuk was a minor prophet, uh, we don't have a whole lot of information about Habakkuk. In fact, there's only 12 minor prophets in the Bible. Um, and what, here's what we know about prophets is that if you were a normal prophet in the Bible... A prophet was just someone who would essentially speak to the people on God's behalf. Essentially, they were the people who heard from God, and they would speak to people. They would speak to the people on God's behalf. But we know, and we learned throughout the Old Testament, that Habakkuk was not a normal prophet. Instead of speaking to people on behalf of God, uh, he actually spoke to God on behalf of the people. Well, why did he do that? You might ask about Pastor Noel, why in the world did he do that? It was because Habakkuk wasn't a normal, uh, he wasn't a normal prophet and he did not like what God was doing. In fact, he was really upset with what God was doing. In fact, when you do your research on the book of Habakkuk, you understand that Habakkuk lived in a very interesting time. It was about 600 years before the birth of Jesus and uh, the, the nation of Judah, God's nation, was really going downhill. Once it was a prosperous nation, but now it was impoverished and, and all kinds of things were wrong with it. It was corrupt and there was violence and it was unjust. And just the nation of Judah was going really downhill. And because of that, Habakkuk was just besides himself. He was confused, he was perplexed, he was, he was baffled. I would even say that he was disappointed and angry at God. I think a lot of us feel like that right now, that we're just, we're, we're confused and disappointed and maybe perplexed and angry at God. That's where Habakkuk found himself. And so here's what he does. He unleashes on God. Nearly 2,600 years ago from today, Habakkuk is really asking the very same question that I think so many of us are asking today, and he wanted to know. In fact, the question is, and I'm sure that you want to know the answer to this question as well, is this, is why doesn't God seem fair? 
Why doesn't God seem fair? God, why are you allowing this? Lord, you could stop it, but why don't you? And Habakkuk, I want you to know that he doesn't butter up to God. He doesn't make the situation any lighter than it is. Habakkuk goes to God and he is upset and he doesn't hold back. And he asks the question essentially, why God? Why doesn't God seem fair? And we're going to look in Habakkuk chapter 1 and uh, we're going to start with verse 2. But let me tell you a little bit about verse 1. Verse 1, Habakkuk receives this vision or this prophecy from God. And it wasn't just a regular vision or prophecy. In fact, in the Hebrew, it was called Mahasa, which literally means an utterance, a, a, a burden, or a doom. So literally, this prophecy or this vision was a dooming prophetic word. In fact, it was like a weight on his shoulders. And here's what verse 2 says after he gets his prophecy. Verse 2 says, How long, Lord, must I call for help? but you do not listen. I wonder how many of you feel that today. Or how long am I going to cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? And for so many of us today, that question is, God, why don't you heal this coronavirus? Why don't you get rid of this disease? Why doesn't it just stop? You see, Habakkuk just doesn't get it. He understands. And he's going through something that he just doesn't get. And he knows that God could intervene, but he doesn't. And what I love about Habakkuk is that he's just very raw and he's just very real. I mean, not only is he raw and real, but the name Habakkuk, his literal name, tells a story. In fact, I would say that his name tells his story. Not only does his name tell his story, but I think his name tells my story. When you look at the meaning of Habakkuk, here's what Habakkuk literally means. It means to embrace and to wrestle. To embrace and to wrestle. You see, Habakkuk is doing everything he can to embrace who he knows God is. But because it doesn't line up with what he believes, he's actually wrestling with God. He's embracing and he's wrestling. In fact, let me just state a warning uh, this morning. In fact, if you're, if you're at home, just, just turn to somebody next to you and just say, uh-oh, <laughs> uh-oh, yeah. I, let me give you a warning. This sermon is not a sitcom sermon. You know what a sitcom is? You know what a sitcom is. Maybe you grew up watching uh, like the Brady Bunch. That was a sitcom. Maybe uh, you were in the Friends era. Maybe you're like me and, and, you, and you love The Office. That's a, that's a sitcom. And most of my sermons are sitcom sermons. It's not bad theology. It's actually a very effective means of communication. And well, what happens in a sitcom? Well, at the beginning of a sitcom, you know that everyone's happy. And then... As it goes on, there's a little bit of tension, there's drama, maybe there's a problem or a challenge, and by the end of the 30-minute sitcom, including commercial breaks, 
Every problem is resolved and the show is over. Most of my messages are sitcom sermons. There's us, there's attention, there's God's word, and then there's a solution. And now you can go out and have a great meal. <laughs> in fact, I would probably, in a sitcom sermon, I would tell you a story like, well, well, you had a job that you really liked and whatnot, but then you've lost your job. But you didn't lose your job for long. Then God provided an even better job with even better benefits. That would be a sitcom sermon. But many of you know that life is not a sitcom. Life is not a sitcom. In fact, in life, everything is not resolved in 30 minutes or less. It's not resolved in 30 minutes or less, including commercial breaks. In life, sometimes things aren't even resolved in 30 days or 30 years. In fact, in life, many of you will, many of you will know, I mean, so just some practical examples. Maybe in life, you liked your job but you lost your job and you didn't get a better job. And in fact, you got a worse job. That's, that's not paying you even based on your education. And all of a sudden with that job, you're not making enough money and you have to file for bankruptcy. And all of a sudden you just feel like a failure. Sometimes life can really, really hit you. Maybe for you, it wasn't your job. Maybe you loved your spouse and you really loved your spouse, but then your spouse cheats on you. And they don't even apologize. And they blame it on everything else. They blame it on you. And then they leave. And life just gets worse. Or maybe you love life. And you've got a great family. And you've got kids and just such an awesome life. But you get this bad medical report. And they tell you it's cancer. And you pray and you get everybody together. And you pray and you pray and, and, and you fight that cancer with chemo. And then you rejoice because the cancer goes away. But then the cancer comes back. And life is just tough. And you don't understand. And you're wrestling with God. And you're trying to embrace. <laughs> and then some well-meaning Christian comes up to you in the middle of your trial and says, Well, brother, sister, just trust in the Lord. God's in control. Just let go and let God. And yeah, while their theology may not be bad and their heart might actually be in a good place, the more that they tell you to let go and let God, the more you want to do what the Bible says and lay hands on them and just say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And although, yeah, they, their intentions might be good, your faith is wrecked. And you're just, you're, you're needing something more than that. And you know that God could do something, and he doesn't. And you ask him, God, why are you letting this happen to me? God, when are you going to do anything? This isn't fair. I just don't 
understand why. Maybe you're sitting on the other side of that screen and you're like, well, God, I've been faithful. I've read my Bible every day. I pray and I serve. And I still battle with this sickness. I still battle with these bad migraines. I still battle with this depression. Why, God? Why? When I am so faithful to you, why can't you help me? Or maybe you're on the other side and you and your spouse can't conceive. And you've prayed and you trusted God and you know that there's people out there who don't even want kids, who, who, who have kids all the time. Why can't I? Why, God? You see, Habakkuk, he feels like this. And he asks a question in verse 3 that I want to show you. Here's what Habakkuk asks. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Verse 4 says, Therefore, the law is paralyzed. Injustice never prevails. In other words, God, I, I don't really think what you're doing is right. That's what he's saying. God, I, I, really, I, I, don't, I don't really think what you're doing is right. And really, Habakkuk has many problems with God. In fact, I just want to list Habakkuk's problems with God because I feel like many of you have some of the similar problems uh, with God that Habakkuk did. In fact, I believe that he's got the very same problems that so many of us have. One of the problems that he had with God is he said, God, you don't really seem to care. God, you just really don't seem to care. Why do you allow all this injustice and suffering to happen in the world? And not only that, but another problem that he has is he says, God, you aren't doing much when you actually could be doing something. God, why aren't you doing much when you could be doing something? God, you have all this power and, 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 you're not, and you're not going to help. And not only that, but he also says, what you are doing, God, it doesn't even seem fair. It just doesn't seem fair. And I wonder how many of you on the other side of that screen would just be honest with me. Have you ever felt like this? Man, have you ever just said, God, it just doesn't seem fair. Why do I have to go through this? I wonder how many of you on the other side of the screen have ever felt like that. I wonder how many of you have ever said things like, God, if I were you, I would do things so much differently. Have you ever felt like that? Well, I have a question for you to kind of ponder. Here's my question. Is it ever okay to question God? Have you ever thought about that? Is it ever okay to question God? Think about it. What would you answer to that question? While researching it, I would say, yeah, it's all right to question God. Because when you look throughout the Bible, in fact, a third of the Psalms, a third of the book of Psalms is just prayers or songs of people who are hurting and really questioning God. 
Not only that, but the authors of books like Job and Lamentations and Ecclesiastes and Jeremiah, they express their confusion and their pain of this unbearable suffering by faithful believers. Can I tell you that even Jesus on the cross, he asked his God, he said, why? Why, God? Why have you forsaken me? In fact, let me explain it to you like this. If you're a follower of Christ, at some point, I believe that you've had some version of this story. In fact, I'm going to put a a, a graph on the screen, and I hope that you can follow along and get this, but I believe that every single one of us, this graph is going to represent our story. Maybe here's, here's where you are. In fact, I'm just going to put a little dot on this graph on the screen here. Maybe this is where so many of us are. We, we, we started here, where life, maybe, maybe your life was hurting, or maybe your life was good, or whatever. This is just how you started life. But at first, then you recognize that there must be more to life. And maybe you started going to church, and maybe the Spirit of God touches you. Maybe it's in a song, or someone prays for you, or somebody witnesses to you. And you recognize, all of a sudden you recognize in your little life that you have right now, that whatever it is, that you recognize that you're, you're doing life without God. And whatever it is, you call on Jesus and you experience his grace, you experience his forgiveness, you experience his mercy, and it's like, boom, wow, life is amazing. And all of a sudden, your life is just getting better and better. And you're on the mountaintop. What am I talking about? You're going to church every weekend, and it's like every time that you go to church, it's just like the sermon was just for me. God was speaking directly to me. And maybe uh, maybe you go to your car, and, and in your car you turn on the radio, and that song on the radio, it's like it's your favorite song ever. And it's like God is just speaking to you through that song. And then maybe you go to the mall or the grocery store or wherever, and, and you have, you've got a front row parking spot, the perfect parking spot. Spot. And, and, and maybe you pray a prayer and God answers that prayer immediately and he gives you even more than what you prayed for and life is incredible and you're like, thank you God, thank you God, God you are so good and you're on the mountaintop. Your life started, you found Jesus and you go up and you're all the way up on the mountaintop. Things are good. Thank you God. But then... Life starts happening, and some things go on, and, and, they, and honestly, they aren't that good. And all of a sudden, instead of being on the mountaintop, life is happening, and we start, you go to church, and, and the sermon was just, eh. You watch online church, and it really wasn't all that good. It wasn't for me. It wasn't bad, but... It's probably just for somebody else. Maybe you get in the car and you turn on the radio and you don't like the song on the radio. Maybe you go to the mall or the grocery store and you can't find a parking spot anywhere. Maybe you pray a prayer and not only doesn't, it does it not happen, but actually the opposite happens. And then something really bad happens, like this virus. It hits and... And it's not, it's not getting better. Or maybe you, you pray for grandma, but she dies. Maybe your boyfriend, the Christian, the, the godly Christian saint that he is, he cheats on you. 
Maybe it's the person that you looked up to and you admired. Maybe that person does something wrong. Or maybe the doctor gives you news that really you never deserved. Whatever it is, it happens to all of us. And all of a sudden, life just keeps getting worse and worse. And our life on this graph just keeps going down and down. And at some point, most of us have what Henry Blackaby in in a book that he wrote called Experiencing God calls a crisis of belief. A crisis of belief. Where all of a sudden, because we know God and because life is going downhill, we're asking questions like, God, if you are so good, why am I not up here? Why am I not on the mountaintop? I, 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 why, why don't you even care? Why aren't you involved in my life? And at some point, most people think that they have one of two options. And one of the options that people think, unfortunately, is what a lot of people, a lot of people actually do this with good intentions. They just start to deny the bad thing. And they say, okay, well, this isn't happening. And they just pretend, instead of being down here, they just pretend to be on the mountaintop. This isn't happening. God, you're still good. This isn't happening. I'm just going to kind of pretend like we're just just up here. And I'm just going to deny any any bad things that happen. So some people, they're like that. Some people, they just, that's what they do. They just pretend to be on the mountaintop. While other people, they take option number two. And other people, they say, well, you know what, God? If if I'm here, and if I'm not up there, and God's not doing anything in me, then God, you must not be real. And all of a sudden, they go right back where they came from. And they just decide, they say things, well, just screw it. Just forget it. I tried church. I tried God. I tried to read the Bible. Just forget it. And people think that they have one of these two options when they're when they're going downhill. They think that they can either that that they should either be pretending to be on the mountain or that God just isn't real at all and just we're just going to leave him where we started. But the good news is is that there's actually a third option. And that third option is, is in the middle of the pain, is you have the choice to wrestle with God. You have the choice to, when you get here, to say, you know what? I I don't get it, God. I'm confused. And not only do you wrestle, but in as best as you can, you continue to embrace. And when you do this, You're like, well, Pastor Noah, when I do something like this, is my life going to get better? Let me just be completely honest. Probably not. Probably not. It probably doesn't. But when we start to wrestle and embrace, yeah, our life may not get any better. Oftentimes it doesn't. But sometimes it continues to get worse. And when it gets worse, here's what happens. When your life gets worse, 
You often do what James said in the, in the first book of his, in the first chapter of his book, where James says, he says, you consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials. You see these trials of many kinds. Because you know, guess what? That the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Guess what? And the perseverance must finish its work so that you can be mature and complete. Lacking, not lacking of anything. Look what happens. Can I tell you that the way to true intimacy with God is not to live on the mountaintops, but it's to get to know his faithfulness in the valleys. I'm going to say it again. The way to true intimacy with God is not to live on the mountaintops, but it's to get to know his faithfulness in the valley. The Bible says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Can I tell you, this is my story. <laughs> this is my story. And I've got so many versions of this story where I've been on a mountaintop before. Can I tell you, I just feel like as a kid, when I started my life with Christ at a very early age, here's my life going up to the mountaintop. Grown up in a Christian home with a Christian family, with, 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 with great friends and, and in a great Christian school. But can I tell you that as life goes on, as my life went on, I felt like as I went into high school and I was this great Christian man, but towards the end of high school, there went my life in this valley season where, yeah, I was, I was participating in church, but I wasn't in love with God and I found myself in this valley season where I was just going to waste my life away and go to a community college and just get a graphic design degree. Just call life good. And I was in that valley, and, and, it, was, and it was the summer after high school that my life started to turn. Got accepted into an internship program from a church that I loved. And all of a sudden, when I got out there, can I tell you that I was the strongest. I came out of that valley because of that. And God taught me so much in that valley. And he had me grow. That's my story. Can I tell you even a more personal story? Listen, when we, when we started this church, there's where we started, right there at the bottom. And here we are over the past two years that we've been, that we've been, almost two years that we've been a church. Here we are. We're growing. We're going. We're doing outreaches. We're reaching our community. We, we, we've bought a building. We've moved into the building. We are on the mountaintop. Attendance is growing. Great 
things are happening and all of a sudden it's like downhill from here, COVID-19. And here we are, we find ourselves in a valley. But guess what, church? In that valley, here's what we're doing. We're asking questions on how do we do church in this day and age? How do we do it? How can we redesign ourselves to meet your needs? And here's what I know. Based on the past experiences, based on how faithful God has always been, not only are we going to reach that mountaintop again, but we are going to so far surpass it. And God is going to take us to a new level of intimacy with Him. And I'm believing that for our church. That even though our church may be in a valley right now because we can't meet physically together, He's developing a new intimacy with us. And He is going to expand our reach and we're going to go so much farther than where we could have gone. Can I tell you, that I continue to wrestle and embrace through the valley to have it be stronger with God. Listen, if I'm in a crisis of belief with this virus right now and we're not finding a new level of intimacy with God, I'm wasting my time. Listen, you do it because in the valley, listen, in the valley you can you begin to wrestle and embrace. Hey, as a church, we're wrestling and embracing, and I hope you are too, wrestling and embracing. And there's somebody on the other side of that screen that this is what you need to do. When you find yourself in that crisis of belief, and we all get there at some point, this is where Habakkuk was, where he says, God, it just doesn't seem fair. Maybe you're saying, God, I just don't understand. Guess what God does? God responds to Habakkuk, and this is where it gets really, really exciting. In fact, are you ready for God's response? Are you ready? I hope you're ready. Let me give you God's response. It's, it's found in Habakkuk 1, chapter 1, verse 5. It says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For I am going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. So God gives Habakkuk this exciting information. And if I'm Habakkuk, I'd be like, well, finally, God, you're going to do what's right. God, you're going you're gonna to relieve the pain right now. God, you're going to have us be prosperous. God, we're going to be blessed. God, we're, we're going to be utterly amazed. You're going to do something that we wouldn't even believe even if we were told. Can I tell you in a sitcom sermon... That's where I would tell you a story like this. And I've told many stories like this. Maybe, maybe you lost one thing. I can remember one time where uh, I got a brand new laptop. Brand new, expensive laptop. You know what it's like to get a new laptop. It is a great feeling. But all of a sudden, I've had that laptop for a couple days. Something drops on the screen and totally busts the screen. Guess what? Being cheap like I am, I didn't buy no protection plan and all of a sudden I'm out about a thousand dollars on a laptop. I'm upset, really upset. I bring the laptop back to the store 
They said, well, we can't do anything about it. I'm really upset. I sat there for just a minute. The lady says, well, let me just go check in the back and see if, if there's anything that we can do. And here's about 15 minutes later, she walks out from the back and she says, you know what? We have this custom laptop that has even greater specs than yours had. We can't put it out on the floor to sell it. So we just want to trade your broken laptop and give this one to you. A new laptop with even greater specs. It was like, God, you're doing something so amazing. That's a story that I would tell if this was a sitcom sermon. But this is not a sitcom sermon. I want you to look at what God says to Habakkuk. In fact, are you ready for this? God says, I'm about to intervene, and you're going to be amazed. And it's going to be unlike anything you've ever seen before. And you wouldn't even believe it if you were told. Here's what God says to Habakkuk. It's hard to believe. He says, I am raising up the Babylonians. Which, by the way, the Babylonians were the bad guys in this story. (laughs) The Babylonians are the enemies. And he says that ruthless and impetuous people, those Babylonians who sweep across the earth, the whole earth, to seize dwellings not their own. They are feared and they are dreaded people. And they come intent on violence. And here they are, they're intent on violence. And God says, you think it's bad now? (laughs) You think it's bad now, Habakkuk? It's about to get a whole lot worse. And I'm going to use your enemies to bring justice because of your sin. And this really makes no sense to Habakkuk. In fact, what do do you do when you find yourself there? What do you do when God makes no sense? Well, here's what I would challenge you to do. That a committed believer can both wrestle with honest questions and embrace a genuine faith in God. I want you to watch as Habakkuk does this. He tries to embrace and yet he doesn't understand and he's wrestling with God. He tries to embrace but he's wrestling. He's embracing and he's wrestling. Look at how Habakkuk embraces And he wrestles. He says, Lord, are you not from everlasting? He's embracing God. My God, my Holy One, you will never die. He's embracing. He says, Lord, you have appointed them to execute judgment. And he's he's, uh, wrestling. You, my rock, he's embracing, have ordained them to punish. He's wrestling. You see how he's embracing and he's wrestling? Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. He, he's, he's embracing God. And you cannot tolerate wrongdoing. He's embracing. Why then do you tolerate the treacherous? He's, he's wrestling. Why are you silent with while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? He's wrestling. You see, he's trying to embrace and he's wrestling, and I'm trying to embrace, and I'm trying to, re- to wrestle. You need to embrace, and you need to wrestle your God. Listen to me. 
If you're on the other side of that screen right now, what I want you to know is first that is that God understands your pain. He understands your pain. Not only does he understand your pain, but he welcomes your questions. And not only that, but he also, he would rather have you yell at him than walk away from him. And so what happens when you hit the wall, when you have a crisis in your life, don't deny your doubts. Instead, let your doubts drive you to God. Hey, that's where I've been for a month now with this virus, with a world that is hurting every day. I'm reading a book and I'm telling you, these words ministered to me and I, so much that I just had to share them with you. Let me read you a, a little quote from this book that I've been reading. He says, what if honestly acknowledging your doubts is the first step towards building a deeper faith? What if, what if embracing your secret questions opens the door for a maturing knowledge of God's character? What if becoming closer to God, developing genuine intimacy with Him, requires you to bear that which seems unbearable. Man, do I feel this. To hear him through an ominous utterance, to trust him in the moment of doom, to embrace his strength when you're weak with a burden. What if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope? What if it takes real pain to experience deep and abiding hope. This is part one. It's part one of this message series. I'm just going to warn you, out of the three parts, part two is really not that much better. But there are three parts to it. And are you ready for the good ending of this sermon? There's not one. Sermon is over. It's not a sitcom sermon. This was part one. And I want to end it here to make a point because so many people right here, they walk away from God in part one. They totally walk away from Him in part one. But you're in part one. And even though it hurts... And even though you don't understand it, and even though you're asking God why, you need to continue to wrestle and embrace. Wrestle and embrace. Let me pray for you wherever you're at right now. Father, today, Lord, today, I just pray for those who find themselves right now in part one. Lord, I pray that they would have the courage and, and feel the permission to wrestle with you. Lord, right now, I have such a heavy heart for those people who need prayer. Lord, for those people who have questions that they just don't understand. Maybe you're on the other side of the screen and you're just wondering and you're hurting. In fact, if you're on the other side of that screen, there's those of you who would say, Noah, would you pray for me right now? I want, I want to embrace and I want to wrestle. Would you just right where you're at, would you just lift your hand? 
Even if you just want to digitally lift your hand, just lift your hand and say, no, I, I have to start embracing God through this season. I have, I have to wrestle with him. Would you lift your hand? Father, I just thank you. God, I just thank you that you've given us your word. That God, you've given us your word. You've given us this book and it gives us permission to just to sometimes just tell you like it is. To tell you what we don't like. And Lord, we to tell you sometimes what we don't even understand and that we don't even agree with. But God, somehow, I thank you that you are going to help us cling to your character, to your nature, to believe that you are good even when life is not. And God, I pray for someone on the other side of that screen who feels like they've tried it and they've tried you and they want to walk away. But God, I pray that they wouldn't walk away. God, please, please help us in this time of a crisis. God, not to let our doubts drive us away. But God, enable us to allow our doubts to drive us straight to you. God, I pray that you would just give us the faith. God, give us the courage not to pretend to be real, but to be raw. Even when we're wrestling, Lord. God, help us, Lord, help us to continue to embrace. There's somebody on the other side of that screen that you need to start that journey. You need to embrace and you need to give your life to Jesus. If that's you, the Bible says that if you would just confess it with your mouth, if you would say it with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, that you can be saved. And if you believe it in your heart that he raised Christ that God raised Christ from the dead, that you will be saved. If that's you on the other side of that screen, you want to pray that prayer, would you lift your hand right now in the chat? Just lift your hand. Let us know that that's you. Let me pray for you. In fact, church, because we believe in this prayer, on the other side of that screen, would you pray this after me? Say, Dear God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to die on a cross for me. But I believe that you raised him from the dead. Jesus, I make you my Lord. I give you my life. Thank you for giving me the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen.